0: Welcome to the Zero Hour. I am your co-host, Mark Fiertz. And this is Christine Chapman. We have a international guest, right? Uh, his name is Paul Andrew. Paul, say hello. Hello. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, you didn't quite hear the Sean Connery accent there just yet, uh, but you will. So... Mr. Paul Andrew is a friend of the Zero Hour, uh, has known uh, our host, Christine, for a decade?
1: Two? No, no. No. I five mean, years? A couple of years, right? With Two our years, kids yeah, growing our up. Kids, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, Paul's got an interesting occupation. He's got a great Zero Hour story that I'm thinking about now and I'm laughing at because if that Zero Hour happened to me, it never would have been a Zero Hour. And I'll explain why uh, or what we mean about that. Um, But we're going to get into uh, a little background on Mr. Andrew. Um, Christine, where do you... uh Where do you want to start with
1: that? I I thought, Paul, maybe you could share a little bit about your sort of origin story, where you're from, how you got here. And in the process, we would watch your zero hour or zero hours unfold in front of our very eyes. But just to give you a little context, um, Paul and I met as the result of our children, who all happened to go to school together, and um, as... Our friendship as families sort of blossomed over the years. Um, I realized I had no idea what Paul did for a living and also realized that he was because in were, higher education.
0: You were mesmerized by the accent, right? As most Absolute. people are. Well, yes, who of course. Isn't,
1: right? The accent goes a long way. Word. Yes. Um, yes. He also has a very, very cool wife. Um, and um, Claudette and I are friends. And so anyway... Um, I'm fortunate enough to have lured Paul onto um, the board of the College Access Project, where you know we always look forward to his stories and his expertise and his experience and his questions. Um, and I am thrilled to have you here. So thank you for joining us. I know you have been very busy having recently had Harvard commencement happen. And um, welcome.
2: Thanks, it's great to be here. Um, So would you like me to tell you a little bit about my background? Was that uh, that where we should start? Is
0: that (laughs) that a Jersey accent? Is that that from New Jersey?
2: Uh, It's from North Jersey, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Nice. Um, So I'm Scottish. I was born uh, in a town called Paisley, which is just outside... Glasgow, it's a a, a town that um, at one time actually was pretty prestigious. It, it was where the Paisley pattern, or Paisley print, originated from. Really? Yeah, uh, it was a mill town, and so there were huge cotton mills in, in Paisley, and fabrics were really the, uh, a big economic driver for the town. And at one point, as I say, it was very prestigious and, frankly, quite wealthy town. Um, and large, it was very populous as well. Um, I grew up there in the... Um, uh, 70s and 80s and late 70s and 80s, just to clarify. Um, mm, and, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it was you still a young man, yes. <laughs> it was a fun place to 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 be and a fun place to grow up. Um, but it's interesting as I as I as I got older and became a little more kind of politically aware and aware of the world around me. And my grandfather was a kind of an important influence in that. Um, I began to see the impact that. Um, I felt the Thatcher government, the Margaret Thatcher's government was having on this British economy and in the Scottish economy in particular. And you could really see the effects of that in Paisley, um, you know, where a town that had once been very prestigious, of course, the cotton mills and had had long gone. Um, and the town became pretty economically, a little economically depressed. And um, and one could kind of see the effect of sure. the policies that were being introduced in in Scotland. Um, by the British government on the economy more widely, and so um, it was a really fun, enjoyable up, um, upbringing. But I began to see, you know, the the, the impact that politics had on society, and it really was, became a new passion for me.
0: So, so Paul, um, how how old were you yeah. when you? We're like, all right, I see the effects of politics, I'm interested in that, I want to learn more about it. Were you a teenager? Were you younger than that? Were you in your 20s?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's probably, you know, probably stages of this, but I I was probably a little younger. I remember being about maybe, so this would have been 19, the 1983 general election. And there was a guy called Michael Foote, who was the leader of the Labour Party. And so I would have been nine, and my grandfather took me along to see him speak in Paisley, and he was very Michael Foot was an amazing speaker, and you know I have met him since, and he's just like a real hero to the to the Labour movement. Um, but at the time, I just remember thinking like he had this crazy white hair, and I was thinking like <laughs> this guy, this is I have no idea what this guy's talked about, yeah. what he's saying, but man, it's exciting, you know. Right. And so I became kind of very aware of. The Labour Party around that time. Um, And then in high school, I got more um, more aware of it.
0: Was anyone else in your family in politics? Because your your grandfather took you to this speech. Was was he involved?
2: He was not. um, I think his father had been at one point, um, but he was not politically involved. I mean, he was very... Aware of politics and had opinions on it, which yeah. he shared. But yeah. um, but he wasn't active as you know as um, as someone in politics really. Okay,
0: and I'm just going to fast forward a bit for a second. Do you remain to be the only Andrew that's involved or has political aspirations or had political aspirations?
2: Well, I neither had nor have political aspirations. <laughs> okay. Just to be clear. All right. um, I have worked in politics and in government over the years, and um, and I found it very rewarding. I see it as a real public service um, mm-hmm. calling, and I I really appreciate and value people who um, people who are involved in politics, whether you're elected or whether you're serving in another capacity. Um, but yes, I think I am the only member of my family who has been involved in that um, nice. in that sort of world. The other members of my family are far
1: more accomplished
2: at more important things than <laughs> that's so funny. humility at its best folks <laughs> seriously paul.
1: um you know paul it's interesting you you speak about being nine years old and being aware of the impact of politics right mm-hmm. i think about our kids or kids who are growing up today and i don't know that kids at that age are even exposed to any level of comprehension Fortnite. At nine years old. No, but, you but I wonder. But but I think there are certain families that, that would. and But one of the things that Mark and I talked about on our way here was sort of the difference in terms of attitude around life, around lifestyle priorities or whatnot that you might have in Europe, say, versus the United States, like especially as it pertains to like the rat race and success and, and having things and whatnot. I wonder, was it at the time normal? Like, were you just any everyday kid growing up in Scotland who was curious and understood how politics influenced economy and impacted, like, the day-to-day sort of evolution um, of your town? Or Mm. was it... Was it something sort of unique to you? That's a good
2: question. Um, I, I don't want to overstate this. You know, I was, um, I was, uh, you know, I it wasn't like you know reading the Financial Times every day at nine years old. Right. You know, but right. I was aware of it. Um,
0: were you? Fr- I mean, were your friends aware of it too? Was it? Was it a time yeah. of age, or
2: is yeah. it just young Paul Andrew at nine? No, I think I think there was a more of an awareness of perhaps. Um, you know, we had far fewer distractions than kids do nowadays. That's true. true. That's true. Um, uh, we, you know, we had the newspaper. We had two newspapers every day. Um, you know, we watched the evening news. You know, there's just more of an awareness. I mm-hmm. think, sure. Just given probably the, you know, the the, the limited options um, we had. So, um, but I actually think that, and I don't know if this is, I don't know how applicable this is in other parts of Europe. But I felt always felt in Scotland, and it continues to be the case that it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty. Uh, politically aware society. Okay. You know, people are conscious of the um of the you know what's happening around their country and and who's leading it and what their priorities are etc. And and so you know Scotland I think has at least in my you know growing up and my experience of it and just understanding the history of the place a little bit has always been um, pretty um, politically aware and educated. Um, Is
0: that because of the UK, Scottish stuff that's been going on since, like, before we were born, with regard to Northern Ireland, uh, you know, Ireland being separate from the UK, UK, is a part of Scotland,
2: or maybe I got that latter part wrong, but is that why they're more politically aware? It's um, a good question. I don't know. Um, certainly that's part of it, the relationship between Scotland and the rest of the United Kingdom has, you know, long been a for centuries has been a, yeah. an important, um, an important issue and matter of debate, and still is to this day. Um, and so that's certainly part of it. Um, and you know, and I think it's interesting that you know when I was I worked in the Labour government in the late nineties and early two thousands, and you know the the proportion of Members of the cabinet who were Scottish mm-hmm. was just really high and I just there was Scotland has always produced these really exceptional political figures, people like um, like Gordon Brown and Donald Dewar and Robin Cook and George Robertson and John Smith and just these remarkable um, leaders in the labor movement and um so I think there's something in the water I guess. I don't know exactly what it okay. is, something there.
0: Scotch in the water. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe.
2: <laughs>
0: so let's talk about the moment, right? So when 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 we were prepping, um you had a few moments, but man, I hope you talk about the moments at at your at your childhood home because it kind of it's funny, right? <laughs> and yeah. and it kind of cracks me up. Because, as I said, by starting the show, uh, you never would have been doing what you were doing if it was my family who picked up the phone, right? So, Paul, please take us through, like, this... I know you have several zero hours, but this is the one that led to who you are. Not who you are, but where you are, potentially, and how you got started, more importantly, right, in... What it is you do, which we will tell everyone shortly.
2: Um, my gosh, such suspense! Um, <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> it's not that exciting. But, Drum roll, um please. Yeah. Um, I hope we get the right one. Um, so yes, I had um, I had come to United States to play soccer and go to college. I went yes. to Plymouth State College in New Hampshire. And um, after I graduated, I had thought I'd like to come back to the UK. And perhaps work in politics or in journalism or some field like that. And um, so I sent my, as one did back then, my resume in or CV and like printed it out and folded it up and yep, sent yep. it in envelopes yep. yes. to various potential employers. Can you imagine that mailing stuff. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and so I, I, I did that, and then I went to work for the Concord Monitor in New Hampshire as a sports reporter, and I did that. I covered high school football um, for the Monitor, which was a great, um, great newspaper. Um, That's awesome. And then I got this, um, and then so, you know, I was not, I'd kind of forgotten about it, to be honest. You know, I sent these resume, I, resumes out, and I thought, you know, I, I probably won't hear much more, and I was just going to continue to be a sports reporter. So
0: you're back home now. Well, right. I was not. No, oh, you weren't. I'm
2: still in the U.S. I'm okay. still in New Hampshire. Okay. And um, uh, and so back in Paisley, where my mom and dad and grandmother lived in the in the same place, um, the phone rang, and um, it was the middle of the day, and my mom and dad were at work, and my grandmother, who um, uh, who was a real character, picked <laughs> up the phone, and the person on the end said, "You know, we are calling from." this company, we have Paul's CV, and we'd love to speak to him because we're interested in perhaps seeing if he wants to come work here. And my grandmother, they were based in London, um, but we're opening in Austin, Edinburgh, and my grandmother said, um, he's not here and hung up. <laughs> <laughs> I think she actually said hes he lives in America or something and hung up. And, um, oh. and so, back in those days, so this is, um, this is 1996, there's like, you know, no caller id there's yeah. no kind of list there's no cell phones and so um and so that was basically that but what happened wait 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 yeah. wait i have to have to ad-lib here so so if we had video
0: you would see me nearly dying in, in, in laughter because i equate that story to my grandmother and my family you know what would have happened phone would have rang my very Jewish grandmother would have been like, "Hello, no, he's not here. No, we're not buying anything," and like hang up the phone in <laughs> anger, right? And the people on the other on the other side would have been like, "What the what the hell is that all about?" So, yeah. at least your grandmother, while you say she's a character, she has couth, right?
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. think she was rude to them. Yeah.
0: Um. Mine would have been. Rude. Oh. She would because she would be like telemarketers, No, and not buying from you. Good day, and like and like hang up the phone. That's my family.
2: Yeah, I don't think that she. I don't think she was rude. I think she was. Um, but I, th- I think she was kind of like he's not here. He doesn't live here anymore. He's in a different country. So, um, so she. So she did that. What? So what then happens? And the kind of serendipity of this is that very unusually. My dad came home for lunch that day, never did that. Huh. And for some reason he did. And my grandmother told him that someone had phoned for Paul about a job. And what I think is here in the US is star 69, right? Yes. Where you can yes. get the last number that called you, just the last just number. Just the last Correct. one, yes. And in the UK it was 1471 you dialed and you got the last number that called. So he did that and got the telephone number. And he called me and he gave me the number and I called the company and I, one of the co-owners and founders of the company came to visit, was visiting New York. I met her in New York. We hit it off. They hired me. I moved back to Edinburgh. I was involved in um, the Labour Party and in politics and Scottish government through that company. And then that's how I kind of met um gordon brown and went on to other 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 areas but the the thing that is so amazing to me is i think about it is that had someone called in the interim before my dad did that
1: you would never you would never, you have would never done done be that. where and you it, are well today. i don't
2: know who knows but it would it would have been a different path fate right. and that's fate. Uh, to me I'll that's uh, uh, that's the uh, that's the real kind of the uh, the moment where he Dials one four seven one in my mind is yeah. just like kind of amazing. Yes. Do, do you happen to know? You may
0: not know this, but what the, how how long it was between when when grandma
2: hung up and your dad dialed.
1: One four seven one. One four seven one. Was it hours? Was I, it a half a day? Was I have no minutes? idea.
2: I have no idea. I mean, I guess if he'd come home for lunch, it was probably you know a hours. hours. But but still. Uh, but I, yeah. So or had he not come home for lunch, and someone else had called, or had she not told him? Like and he never
0: comes home for lunch. I know so that was very strange. It's fate.
2: Yeah, I it believe must be.
0: in fate, in kismet, and these things happen for a reason. Maybe that's Maybe.
2: awesome. Yeah, that no, it was. Yeah. A, it's certainly a. It's a sliding doors moment for sure.
1: <laughs> it is a sliding door. So, so I know that serendipity has been a part of your life in many different ways, right? Um, I would love for you to just sort of give us brief overview of two, I believe, other okay. instances of serendipity. One, which brought you to the U.S.
2: Yep, yep.
1: And another, uh, introducing you to a date.
2: Yeah, yeah, so... Um uh so the date. My um so when I came to Plymouth State I played soccer there and there was a semi formal coming up. And the um and so I needed a date and I didn't have one. Um and I was uh i just turned eighteen, I think. And um so the i I said to the the person at the in this cafeteria at Plymouth State who kinda of swipes your card I need a date for the um the semi formal and Shirley which was her name Shirley. said I have got exactly the person for you and um because she said this girl plays the bagpipes <laughs> <laughs> she plays <laughs> the pe-
0: and therefore
2: <laughs> obviously this would be the perfect date for me um so um and we did so she we eventually introduced ourselves to each other. Um Claudette was all her name was then. Um, does she still
0: play the bagpipes?
2: Uh, I don't know if she she can, I'm sure, if she really tried, but she's do not done it for a while. you play long. the bagpipes? I do not No, okay. No, definitely not. Um and uh and so we went to semi formal and uh, we you know we started dating maybe a year or so later for more formally but um and uh, we've been married for twenty 20, almost 23 years. Ago, nice. So.
1: And who would have thought, right? To ask the Shirley cafeteria lady named Shirley yeah. for a date. Yeah. Who would ultimately become your life partner, the right. mother of your children? Like amazing, right? right? That's right. so cool.
2: Yeah, no, that was a that was definitely a a, a, a fateful request. Um,
1: and that she knew, like yeah. she plays the bagpipes. Yeah, She's she had seen Claudette
2: you. play at the New Hampshire Highland Games or something. I don't know if Claudette's ever forgiven her actually for reducing <laughs> us, but um, but that's another an story. On the um, on the coming to Plymouth State, that that is another kind of uh, another moment, and I think this is really where I think. Um, you know, and all the credit goes to my parents for kind of, in a whole kind of range of levels. But thinking about um, my brother and I's lives beyond, um, you know, beyond the environment we inhabited, and um, I got a uh, my mom was a secretary in a school. That's what they called them back then. Um, and um, they a, a message or a letter had been sent to the school. By someone, I totally forget who, and I don't even copy the letter, saying if your child or son is mainly, I think just boys, it was addressed if your son back then um, is interested in um, playing soccer in the United States. You know, I've got some contacts and it wasn't directed to any particular person. It was just like, send this out around the school, you know. And my mom saw the letter because she was a secretary. She got the mail and she snagged the letter. And I'm sure she maybe made a copy or something. I don't know. She never actually told me, but I hope she did. Um, And she shared it more widely. But she snagged a copy for me, at least, and brought it home. and, um, And I was kind of really intrigued by this idea. And the idea that she, again, you know, at the time, you don't think of these things. I was probably 17 at the time. Maybe, late, maybe sixteen, turning seventeen. You don't really think of in that moment, but you know the the idea that she had that this was a this could be a real path for me and something that I might find interesting um, was such a kind of consequential thing for her to think of in that moment right, about. Right, I'm going to bring this to my sixteen, seventeen year old son who might go to a different continent mm. um, as a result of what I'm about to do here. But um, and so such credit for that. I just I, just, I you know I think yeah. of that a lot and um, and so I did. I wrote again, mail <laughs> these letters off to the guy, you know, the guy. I wrote to the guy, he sent some brochures, I sent some, you know, my applications, or applications whatever. Are, yep. I think it was a letter at that point. Um, I had no concept of the application process right. in the U.S. I mean, I'm a first-generation college student. I had no idea what it was like to apply here. I had yep. applied in the U.K. to Glasgow and Edinburgh and Aberdeen and those universities, and I'm just going to go there and <laughs> accept accepted to those places. Um, but I sent this off and I got a call back from this guy called Sean Griffin from Plymouth State. And he, um, he was the, um, the brand new head coach of the men's soccer team at Plymouth State, which after an incredibly illustrious run over decades um, had had a couple of losing seasons. And there had been, so Sean had come in um, and with the remit to kind of revitalize the program. And I was his first recruit. And so um you were, uh, you, you were the, the big hope. It's well so, I don't it know it about that. Like. I don't know about that. I mean it was uh, you know, I, I I don't know. Um but he built this remote, so I went and um and we had a losing season that first year, but we went, then went to the postseason the next three seasons and he built an amazing programme there. He's now at Hobart College in upstate New York, yeah. um as the head coach there. But again, that moment of the the letter, um, yeah. you know, coming home from with my mom, and just the, you know, the idea that these things have the ripple effects yes, um, is uh, is pretty um, uh, serendipitous, I guess. to use
0: Paul, question. Um, are you the anomaly of your town and of your friends in Paisley to, at nine years old, be interested in different things, and then as a young teen... Be willing to leave. Be willing to, or was that a thing in Paisley in Edinburgh? Right.
2: Yeah. Well, or, Paisley and
0: Edinburgh are different yeah, countries. All right. Correct. Um, I'm an
2: American geography <laughs> oh, rat. Right. Yeah. All yeah. right. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't say that. Um, I think that there, you know, schools were great. Um, people get, you know, good educations. Um, lots of people in my school went on to. Great careers, uh, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Um
2: and you know, and and that's only that by that one metric. I mean, you know, life is more than careers obviously. And so um you know, so I don't think I'm anomalous in any way at all. I think I'm just normal know, one just, of the, yeah. Just the yeah, one a of, path that was given. that. Yeah, exactly. To you, you know, exactly. I mean I'm a big believer in that, but you know, if you see an opportunity and yeah. it presents itself and you're open to it then then that's good. And I think that, that happens to Everyone in different ways. And so I don't think there's one particular path.
1: So, Paul, there are two things that I wanted to chat about as well because I know. That you now work at Harvard yes. and that you have a pretty big you know, position um, and that that means that you have to deal with the public or the messaging or, or whatnot that comes with all things communications. So there's a lot that is going on in the college landscape. Um, and I don't know if you want to speak to that, but I my, my bigger question was much more, you work at one of these tremendously prestigious, world-renowned universities that happens to be American. You now—we um, both have both of our children in, in the same grade ranges or grades— um, as I am, you are going through the process with your student in an unbelievably rigorous climate landscape where, to be quite honest, on many levels, like Your child, my child, we're not going to qualify as minorities in a time where that might be desirable, where we're all looking at schools where for our children it's going to be so much more competitive than it has been for us. I know that we've talked about visits and how you felt going through the process of visiting and looking at these wonderful places, but how do you feel as you get ready to support your students going through the process and understanding that they're like, it's killing me. And I do this for a living with yeah. other people's kids, you know.
2: Yeah, well, you're you're probably much better positioned to speak to this than I am, to be honest, um, given your work and your experience in this area. And it's it has been interesting for me to um, to go through that process with our eldest son to to go on these visits. And the idea is to try and there are so many great institutions and right. so many great educations that are available. Um, we are fortunate enough to have that opportunity, and I don't. Um, I certainly do not minimize how much how fortunate we are to have the opportunity right. and how many others don't. And that's an issue, frankly. Um but I am um but going through the processes has been for um for us about kind of narrowing options and trying to like understand where the right place for him to be is and where he can thrive, certainly academically but personally as well as he um as he uh, matures. And but it, it's one of the things that's been so fascinating for me is that I have never gone through this process. Right, I've I no same. insight Bec- into what. Because same. even yeah. when
1: you were looking at Plymouth State, it was a slightly different process as yeah. an international student. Well, a significantly different process, timing-wise as well. Right. Yeah,
2: and it, and it was a you know it was a it, it was one thing. Like I was just. I'd gone through the process in the UK which was very different than it is in the US, but you have one kind of application and then it gets sent to all yes. places. Um but the but the plumbing was just one thing. I just right. you know, I sent a letter, they sent me a form, I filled it out and basically I was in from what I can recall. Um and and this so going through this process with him has been as much a learning experience for me as it has been, I think, for him. And um and so yeah, it's it's all very alien to me but um, but I'm hoping that we'll get to a place where he can he can do well, and as I say, I think that we're very privileged to have the opportunity to do that and um and he and he will he'll do fine and I think that he'll do great one of the things that I really felt about my own experience is that you know, I mean, Plymouth State is not uh, Plymouth State to, is not a kind of natural path to you know a career at Harvard, for instance, right? I mean, it's a small um, state institution in the White Mountains, New Hampshire, um, that has some really great majors, etc. But um, uh, but I always felt that you know the more you kind of put into it, the more you get out of it, right? Yeah. And that's I think true of whether it's Plymouth State or Harvard or anywhere else. Um, you know, the student. It brings a lot to it. It's kind of you know you get you yeah. you get out of it what you put into it, and um, and so the best students um, at Harvard and they are remarkable um, are giving their all to it and um, and really exploring and discovering both themselves and the institution and their their field of study, and that is true at institutions in every part of the. Every part of the country, I'm pretty sure. So, um,
1: and and I yeah. think there's a favorite quote that you may have that you had mentioned during our prep session that sort of like goes hand in hand with what you what you have just spoken about. Um, oh, maybe I.
2: Y- y- you mentioned the idea of a favorite quote, and I actually, um, and I, I'm kind of a, I'm slightly embarrassed. To say I probably don't have one. Um, <laughs> But um, I, there is this quote that Bill Belichick has, who is the coach of the New England Patriots, um, for those listening overseas, um, and he is um, he this, he's a, a a fantastic football coach, but kind of a, a I, philosopher I think a, a, leadership, well, yeah, yeah. a leadership guru, and yes, yes. lots of things. And he, he has this quote, he says, the more you can do to his players, the more you can do, the more you can do. And... The idea there is that if you are versatile and show sure that you can do something, we'll give you more playing time or you know you'll get more um you you'll get a longer contract or whatever it might be and the idea that you're being open to doing things and to see those as not as not limiting but actually as a pathways to new things yes. is I think what he what he captures it but I did ask um Rory, my um son about the um about his favorite quote I and mean, here's one from Buddha which is do not dwell on the past do not dream of the future concentrate the mind on the present moment and so I guess I'll use that as my favorite instance. I love that nice. quote nice. yay
0: Rory <laughs> you know it's uh, I, th- I think not that I think I-, I feel that kids in college today are so much more prepared for the outside world and and, and understand themselves so much better than we did or than I did, certainly, at, at that age. When I was when I was in college, I was trying to figure out where the next keg party was, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't trying to solve for social causes. I wasn't trying to start my own business. I was living the day, right? And really, not that I didn't care, but wasn't smart enough, maybe, to think about the future, right? Or a week ahead. Or oh, if it was thinking a week ahead, I'm like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner, right? Like... I think today's youth are so much more prepared, and maybe that's because they have access to information a lot greater than we do. Or maybe it's because they're just generally more in tune with their surroundings, when I don't think I was. Like, even my daughter now, who is way smarter than I could ever be, right, is talking to me about things. She wants to be a forensic scientist. I'm like, what? I'm like, yes, do it. Awesome. Go to Harvard. I know a guy. You
2: know, uh, <laughs> admissions is not in my remit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got
0: I got people, um, but um. you know it's it's incredible. Um, like the talent that Paul and Christine, you guys speak to every day. It's like I talk to some of these kids by osmosis through you, Christine, right? And it's uh, it blows me away. Like the the level of just thought and thinking and process and how they view the world. That is completely different (laughs) from my time when I was that age. My two cents. Yeah. USD.
1: I think kids have so much more access to information than we did as well, and probably have to master the skill of sifting through that information in ways that we probably didn't. Maybe, um,
2: I mean, there's a lot on their plate. Yeah. And this is the, you know, the, the, as you say, there there's certainly, I mean, there's always been student activism, of course, um, but, you know, I think of my own kids and, um, you know, their consciousness around issues like climate change and um, inequality. I mean, these things are, you know, it's, they are confronting these these things in their lives, and I think it's great. I mean, we need them to, and they need to, and I wish we had done more. Um, and, you know, they, so there's a, um, you know, there's, a, there's some important issues in the world, and to have um, educated and smart and informed and um, idealistic and committed young people working on those things is kind of really, it, yeah. is, it gives us some hope, um, because there are big issues out there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and they're the people who are confronting them. So.
1: Absolutely. How do you want to be remembered as we get ready to wind down, Paul?
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm only 48. Um, I don't think I.
1: <laughs> I don't think I really want to think of that right now. Um,
2: so yeah, we'll pass on that one.
1: Okay. No. Hey, that's that's fair. That's fair.
0: <laughs> what about your uh, Christine's got a favorite question about what advice would Paul Andrew give to young younger? Paul Andrew, yes, your young, your younger self. Too. Oh, that's interesting. Knowing what you know now, right at your tender young age,
2: <laughs> what would you give, What advice would you give your younger self? Um, well, I think I've tried to do this, but I was not conscious of it when I was younger. But that i that idea of um, being open to opportunity, the idea that if, when things arise, um, you know, not being fearful of, you know, pushing on that door, you know, or walking through it. Um and so I think that has been a that's an important thing. It doesn't mean you always, you know, you don't always have to you don't have to, you know, do it for life you don't have to do it forever i didn't have to come to the united states and live here mm-hmm. for the rest of my life i could have gone home if i didn't like it there's a right. lot very few things in life that are you know definitive and, and so, forever and forever right, and so right. you know being open to the possibility a um, i think is uh yeah. is an important is an that's important great thing.
0: man yeah yeah very few things in life are definitive right that's so yeah. true
1: yeah yeah well thank you paul Thanks very much. No, today. and
0: thank you for thank you for having me. It's been this fun. is so fun. Yeah, it's been great. I've enjoyed it. Paul, thank you, sir. Thank you. We appreciate you, man. All right, folks. Guess who that was? That was uh, the Scott himself, uh, Mr. Paul Andrew. So uh, charming. So, so charming.
1: And handsome.
0: And fashionista. You should see what he's wearing today. He looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Jeans not sweater. <laughs> That's how you wear your jeans, dude. <laughs> um, this is a zero hour. Uh, we were here, are here with Paul Andrew. This is your co-host, once again, Mark Fiertz. And
1: this is Christine Chapman. Thank you.
0: Thanks, y'all.